0: Psalm chapter 9. Just like last week, we don't have a a big or very clear section about fear in this Psalm, like Psalm 8. There's really not any fear present. It's just facts, just faith. Also, like the Psalm that follows this in Psalm 10, um, there is is, uh, some similar themes. So uh, it'll be two weeks until we get into Psalm 10 because we've got our Family Missions Night and Meal next Wednesday, but uh, I think you'll notice some similarities there. In, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, it is one psalm, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10. Now, while there's similarities and both are an acrostic, where every other verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, uh, there's enough differences where I think the, the people who translated our Bibles into English, they did separate them. And uh, I think you'll see that it makes sense once we go through both of them because there's a, a bit of a different tone there. If you look at the superscription under uh, the chapter title Psalm 9, it says, To the Chief Musician. Uh, whenever you see that, definitely a psalm that was designed by God for corporate worship like we've just taken part of together. Uh, it wasn't an individual song, but it was designed to be uh, studied, read, sung together. And then it says, Upon Muth Laban. And that's a, a kind of a funny word. What, what that means in Hebrew is death of a son. Now what that means, we're not really sure. Uh, some people think it might have to do with Goliath. Some people think it might have to do with the death of David's son. The problem with that is it doesn't seem to really fit with uh, that, that time in David's life, doesn't seem to really fit with the topics being discussed here in Psalm chapter nine. It might just be the tune. That might have been a popular tune at the time, death of a son, and uh, that was the tune that these lyrics were written to. Uh, as far as uh, genre goes, and some psalms fall into different categories. This one is, is definitely a praise uh, hymn, a praise for what God has done, but also, like any psalm, it's a prayer. Just like the songs we sang tonight, I hope when you're singing them, uh, you're singing them to God. Like, these are prayers, these words, we're all singing them, saying the same prayer together to God. And so we have a, a praise section in the first Uh, 12 verses and then a prayer section at the end Uh, all in all it's a it's a hymn of faith and uh, it's a psalm concerning one of the most frustrating challenges to our faith David's experiencing it and that's when the wicked seem to have success When, when God's word says no, they're, they're gonna be punished, but at least in our little temporal time frame, it seems like the wicked have success and justice is in jeopardy. And when we look at things like that, it, it's definitely a challenge to our faith. We know God is just. We know that he has a concern for justice to be done. It's who he is. Uh, it, it's what he commands. He even commands you and I to have that same level of concern and to act for justice. And so in this psalm, David proclaims that God is just, and he prays, he pleads for an opportunity to see it. Let's read it. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence." For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sittest in the throne, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made, and the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hegeon, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word tonight, we plead your Holy Spirit would illuminate its truth to us and then uh, that we would act on that truth, that with uh, hearts that are humble and contrite before you, we would uh, praise you for your character, for you being just, that we would, do the, uh, that we would give you praise by trusting you, that, that you will administer justice. It's who you are. That we would uh, continue in dependence in, in the praise, in the faith that is dependent prayer, that we would continue to praise you in that way. Oh, we're so thankful for uh, the opportunity you give us to, to be tools in your hands. And that um, our Women's Missionary Union and our, our young people, our youth group, can join others across this association, across our state, to try to reach people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I pray for all those who've donated, who've uh, helped with the backpacks, I pray right now that e- even now, Lord, even it's a month off, but that you would prepare the hearts of the children who will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you'll move them, your Holy Spirit will come on them, and that they would understand its truth, repent of their sins, and trust in Jesus for Savior. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We want your kingdom to be increased. We want people to know the love you have for them in Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so let's look at the first 12 verses there. We see here David's praise. So he's praising God in these first 12 verses. It's David's praise for the revelation of God's righteousness. And God has revealed his righteousness to David. He believes in it. And um, when we say righteousness, we're talking about God's justice, that he does do what is right. Uh, We might not always see it in our perspective, in our limited time frame, but it's who he is, and it's what he's promised to do. And so he's called us to, in faith, praise him Uh, for who he is, for his justness, for his uh, concern for justice. And notice verse one, there's a commitment to praise in verses one and two, a commitment to praise. David says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all of thy marvelous works. David says, I'm going to praise you. He makes an intentional decision. He says, I'm not really, uh, my, my praise to you is not gonna be governed by my circumstances. All right, your worthiness to be praised is that that decision is not going to be based on what I, in my limited human perspective, uh, see as whether or not your justice is being done. He's just plain and simple going, You deserve to be praised, and I'm going to praise you. And that's what we're called to do too. I will, he says, Praise the Lord. He says, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. My perspective is not going to determine whether or not you receive my worship. So David here makes an intentional decision and Uh, If we were to sing this, uh, we're studying it right now, but I pray that it's sung in your heart and you will do the same. You'll say, I'm going to praise you no matter what, because I know who you are. He says, I'm going to do it with uh, my whole heart, not in part, uh, not a part of the week, not just Sunday, not just Wednesday. I'm going to praise you with my whole heart all the time, not with any portion kept back. When you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, it's an all-in type of faith. There's, there's nothing less. Saving faith means you trust him with everything, and total faith is going to result in total praise. That's what David's committing to here. Circumstances, we're going to find out in verses later on here that we've just read, but as we study them together, we're going to find out that uh, justice isn't being done right then, but he's still going to praise God for being just because he knows that God always keeps his promises. and God is, is just, and he's going to see it. All right, He says in verse... Uh, one at the end there, I will show forth all of thy marvelous works. It means he's going to ponder on them and then proclaim them. He's going to dwell on them, and then he's going to display them, actually show them forth in, in praise. And it says marvelous works. In the Hebrew, that means miraculous. you believe God still works that way? He does. If God doesn't change. Um, we may not see Red Seas parted. I think we do if we look hard enough. All right? Every person here has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He parted that Red Sea when he called you to himself and you responded in repentance and in faith to him. God still works miracles. I love Habakkuk 3.2. Turn there at some t- point, not now. Because right? if you're like me, those are the crispy pages, right? Habakkuk 3.2. Uh, and it says in Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Isn't that a prayer we could all pray? Lord, I've heard you part Red Seas and bring down walls in Jericho. I've heard you part the Jordan and defeat enemies. I've seen giants fall. I've read read about that. I want to see it. Do you want to see it? I hope you do. And that's what Habakkuk's pleading for. And David here say, I'm going to show forth all of your marvelous or your miraculous works. That's my prayer for Dublin First Baptist Church, that we'd all, all of us, including the guy standing here, would be able to see that. And that that would be our prayer, that we could all pray Habakkuk 3, 2, that we want to see it here in Bladen County, in the United States, and throughout the world, that we would see uh, revival. That's what Habakkuk is praying for, to see God's marvelous works, a miraculous revival. Do you think he could do it? Can God bring revival now to his church? Sure he can, but he can't without a commitment to praise. That's when it happens, when you and I commit to praise him um, without regard to our circumstances, but when we will commit to praise him, the, the thing of it is revival won't be experienced when we're on the sidelines. I hear a lot of people saying, I'm I'm praying for revival. I don't think that's a bad thing. You should pray for revival. But don't just wait on it. It won't happen. It won't happen if we're just waiting on it. We've got to stop waiting on the next great move of God and start being the next great move of God. That's when revival will happen, when we have this commitment to praise. Notice in verse 2 he says, again, another will. I will be glad i will rejoice in thee i will sing praise to thy name o thou most high equally equally significant choice here equally necessary commitment to not just praise god but to find all of his joy his gladness his happiness his rejoicing in god that's what david's calling us to not my circumstances they will not dictate my happiness they will not dictate whether or not you're worshipped who you are, who you are for me in Jesus Christ. That is why you're worthy of worship. That is why you're worthy of my joy and my pursuit of joy in you alone. Now we'll see a cause for praise in verses 3 to 10. says in verse uh, 3 and 4, When my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence, for thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne, judging right. God's presence here in verse 3 is highlighted uh, as the means of his deliverance of his justice. We have to understand that God. He is the one that reigns from his throne and that he judges righteously. He tells us here in, in Revelation of himself to David and to you and I that that's who he is. Uh, in verses five and six, it says, thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. In verses five to six, God is the one who rebukes and destroys. The wicked, it says he's put out, really meaning he's, he obliterates them. He obliterates or puts out their name forever and ever. You know, there are um, people who I've heard say that the Bible can't be true, historians, because some of the, the people groups it mentions, like the Hittites, there's no record of them uh, in, in archaeology or in history. Well, here's why. This <laughs> verse uh, we, we know why, because God has put out their name forever and ever. That doesn't disprove the Bible. It actually proves God's word is true. And um, we have to realize it's not our job. It's not me. It's God's commission based on his character to do this, to judge righteously and to administer justice. But I want you to notice, this is important, verses 3 to 4 and then in verses, um, well, actually in verse 3, there's a tense in verb change. Uh, Definitely in the King James here, it says in verse 3, when my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. And so with great faith, David's looking for God to deliver him and to deliver justice. He says when, that it's going to happen, my enemies are going to be turned back and they shall, it's going to happen, fall and perish at your presence, God. And then notice the tense of the verbs in verses 4 and on. It says, for thou hast, maintained my right and my cause thou saddest in the throne judging right thou hast rebuked the heathen thou hast destroyed the wicked thou hast put out their name forever and ever do you see where david's fuel for faith to believe that god even though it doesn't look like he's administering justice even though he's suffering even though right doesn't seem to be rewarded and wrong seems to have victory and success Do you see where that fuel comes from for David? He's looking back in verses 4 and 5, and he's saying, God, you've always done this. You have maintained my right and my cause in times past. You have sat on the throne judging right. You have rebuked the heathen. And it's important for us because there are times when we're in our life and we're in our situation and uh, injustice or suffering or whatever we're experiencing is here. We can feel it, and it's tangible, and it doesn't seem like God is active. And if we're gonna have faith that he is who he says he is, and he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do for us, we we're called here to look back. We have 66 books that say, this is how I've always done it. Why do you doubt me? I'm going to do it on my timeline, but I'm going to do it. And David looks back, he calls us to look back with grateful praise for God's past miraculous works so that it will fuel our praise and our faith in his future grace, and goodness to us. Notice also the contrast in verse six and seven. You know, David's enemies—they had destroyed cities; their, their memorials perished with them. We have archaeologists that dig up, and they're like, "Wow, look at this city here! Didn't know it was ever there because these people had destroyed it at some point." But then, look at verse seven. What about God? But the Lord—he shall reign; he shall endure forever. He's prepared his throne for judgment. So we've got a contrast. They may have destroyed cities. They may have removed them from historical record. But God alone is the one that endures forever and reigns forever. Verses 8 and 9, we've got more facts. This is that key part. If we're going to move from fear to faith, the key part is... Uh, You and I focusing on the facts, facts about God, who he is, what he's done, what he's promised to do, and God's revealing them to us here, more of them in verses 8 and 9. It says, he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. There's some future tense verbs that David's confidently saying there. Verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge or a stronghold, a walled, fortified city offering protection for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. That's who our God is. In verse 10, I love this verse. It says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Do you know his name? I mean, do you know it? All these different names, we've already, we're only in chapter 9 and we're seeing names like uh, Yahweh, you know, all capital L-O-R-D, and, and Adonai last week, capital L-O-R-D, and uh, er, o Lord, most High El, Elion, And we've got all these names for God in the Bible. Do you love them? Do you want to know what they mean? Do you read down when there's a little footnote there to know who God is for you? He's revealed these different names. Do you know his name? It says when we do, all right, when we do in verse 10, they that know your name will put their trust in thee. There can't ever be that trust if you don't know him. I mean, you're not going to put your trust in something you're not confident in. And so he calls us to know him. It, it can't ever be in our heart without first being in our head. So it's got to be there. That's a very important part. But then there is a trust that needs to happen. It can't just be a head knowledge. It's got to be coupled with faith, with that, with that heart knowledge. Do you know his name? And when, when, when we do that, all right, th- again, he calls us to look back to the past. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. This is your perfect track record of never failing always coming through, every single time. And so I, with that knowledge, knowing that this is how you operate, and this is who you are, and this is what you've promised, I'm confident to trust you. With that knowledge, I'm confident to trust you. And I'm confident to continue seeking you because you've always done that and been that for me. I, I got, I'm pretty confident you are seeking him and that you have a desire to know him. You're in church on a Wednesday evening Right, And I, I'm confident that you've called on his name for salvation, as Acts 2.21 and Romans 10.13 say. But um, will you continue to do that? We're going to see that's really what he's highlighting here, uh, a continual trust. It's not so much that initial coming to Christ for salvation, but a continuing remaining in Christ and trust for him. Verses 11 and 12, he moves from that commitment to praise he had in verses 1 and 2. He says, you know what? I'm going to do it. I don't care. I'm going to do it. The things I'm looking around, it doesn't seem like you're doing it, but, but then he gives a cause for praise in verses 3 to 10, and now he has a call to praise in verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. David's not talking to himself here. He's already committed to praise. But he's not satisfied with just him doing it. He wants corporate worship. He wants other people to join him in here in verses 11 and 12. And this is what happens when we're committed to praise regardless of our circumstances. When we have faith that God is righteous and he's just and he will deliver justice because he always has been. Others will join the chorus with us. And what happens? Declare among the people his doings. Other people hear of him, and other people put their trust in him. Look, this is our mission at Dublin First Baptist Church. Our purpose is to glorify God. Each one of us glorify God by enjoying him forever. But that doesn't happen everywhere in the world. All right, And so we have this mission to make the name of Jesus treasured to them so that they do that too, so that they glorify him by enjoying him forever. This is how we fulfill our mission, uh, the great commission, and that's why we can praise and we can call others to join us in praise, is verse 12. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. David here expresses a confident assurance that the deeds of the wicked don't go unnoticed. We have an omniscient, omnipresent God, and while it may seem like he's not acting for justice, he sees what's going on. He's promised to judge and deliver justice, and so we're called here to uh, have faith in a God who forgetteth not the cry of the humble. We have a God who hears. We have a God who answers our prayer. We have a God who acts, and we have a God who aids. In verses 13 to 20, David prays here uh, for the aid of God's afflicted. He's one of them, and he's praying for God to come through for him. The first thing we see in verse 13 is the request for justice from God. And he says, have mercy on me, O Lord. Please don't give me what I deserve. And that's true of every one of us because we know what we all deserve. But in Christ, we have mercy. We have grace. He prays for grace, too, getting what we don't deserve. And there's a plea in this prayer for God to consider the trouble or suffering David's experiencing. He says, consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Does God know what David's going through? Sure he does. And he still wants his children to express that to him. And David's doing that in this petition here, crying out to God. He says, thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. Now notice the response to God's justice. A second contrast here. David's moved from the gates of death. Where is he now? In verse 14, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. He's like, God, save me, deliver me. Uh, move me from the gates of death to the gates of the daughter of Zion. You might be like, well, I don't really know what that is and I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> You're here. Welcome to the gates of the daughter of Zion. <laughs> Dublin First Baptist Church, Zion is a, uh, you know, a type or symbol of the presence of God and uh, definitely pointing to the church where God's presence is here together collectively among us. And David, that is what he's done. For all of us who have turned to Christ, he's moved us from the gates of death eternal death, eternal separation from God in hell, and now he's placed us here. Are you glad to be here? I am, right? With this family and together. And uh, yeah, we've been, and David is, is saying, God, if you will do this for me, If you will do this for me, I'm going to show forth your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. This has to be our response to our answer prayer for God's justice. David proposes here, he promises here that he's going to give God continued praise. Do you do this? I'm convicted. I pray and I pray, sometimes six months, sometimes a year for something, maybe longer. And then God answers that prayer and you're so glad and we say, thank you, God, for answering that prayer. We prayed for six months, and we praise him for six seconds. You know, and uh, he deserves continued praise. This is David's response. I'm going to rejoice in your salvation, and I'm going to continue to seek and savor the joy I find in your salvation. That's what we mean by glorify God, by enjoying him forever. Uh, that I stop looking for joy elsewhere, and I have joy in Jesus and in valuing Jesus, and that's where I'm going to receive good, and God's going to receive glory. Praise continues here. Praise stays here when we stay in that joy and when we quit embracing it. If you're like me, that's a battle. Your pastor even has that battle. Such joy on Sunday. This is where I find my joy in Jesus, and then Monday night, I'm looking elsewhere. Tuesday, I'm looking elsewhere. It's only found one place. C.S. Lewis, you all know I like him, right? And <laughs> but this is a powerful quote. He said, God cannot give us peace and happiness apart from himself. He cannot and he will not. You know why? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. So he can't and he won't. Happiness is found only in him. The result of God's justice in 15 through 20. Uh, 15 to 17 first says the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made and the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. And then he says Hegeon and Selah, two musical terms probably to pause and consider what we've just read, that God is just, it may not seem like it all of the time. And for those who reject his salvation, specifically for us here and now in Jesus Christ, Uh, Those who will continue in rebellion and in oppression, this is the result. They fall into the pit that they deviously dug. That's how it works. God's promised it. Now, we might not see it right now. and We want them to get in that pit, but that's going to happen if they stay unrepentant, if they don't turn to his grace. It says they are caught in the net that they cast out. They're snared by the work of their own hands. It's their own doing not God being mean to them. They reject His salvation. He's going to leave them to their own doing and God is holy and He must administer justice. God is never the provider of injustice, never. All right? You see, we can either trust Christ who bore the justice from God that was due you and me, or we will bear that justice. We will bear it. Uh, the just, justice we deserve and that His holiness demands. Uh, Romans 1, 20 to 32 Paul talks about this they forgotten God you know and if I reject what he offers me in Jesus Christ he's going to leave me in my default state our default state when we're born into this world is people going to hell he's going to leave us there if we reject what he's offered us in Jesus Christ we're called in this prayer of deliverance that David gives us here I think this is important We're called here to trust in God's righteous administration of justice as much as we're called to trust in him for salvation. And it kind of goofed up that you and I sometimes, we will trust him with our eternal state. Like where I'm going to go when I die or when you come back. I'm going to trust you with that, but I don't know that you can handle Thursday. You know, that's what we do when we don't have faith. You know, that he's, are you really just? Well, I don't look at the cross. Yes, he's just. He poured out his full wrath on Jesus Christ. And if we reject him, that's, that's coming our way in hell. Yes, he's just. And if I'm going to trust you with my eternal state, yeah, you can handle whatever I'm going through. You can handle my weak faith perspective where it just doesn't seem like you're, you're doing what you say you're doing. And David's praying for that here. This, we all are in this place sometimes. We're like, it doesn't seem right, God. <laughs> I know who you are. And I believe, and he's calling us to believe and have faith. Verse 18 says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. What he's saying here is the seeming injustice and the seeming success and triumph of the wicked uh, in this world, it won't go on forever. God's promised it. And the seeming uh, being forgotten that the righteous experience, the seeming failed expectation that we have of God's justice, um, that, that also will not go on forever, all right? He will, he will administer justice. Verse 19 to 20, he, he asked God to arise and adjudicate here. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but mansela. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. That's a very God-honoring prayer. Maybe we don't want to wait for God to deliver justice anymore. And so David's just saying, God, I'd like to see that now. I mean, he still wants people to come to know him as Savior, but if they're going to reject him, he's just saying, God, I want to see. And so we're just praying for God to be revealed here. And God's honored by that prayer. God wants to be known. And so that's what David's doing. He wants the rebellious man to be put in his proper context. And that's what what David's praying to God for here, to realize that they are but men. So what this psalm is asking us is this tonight. Will we choose to praise? That's what those first two verses are. I mean, I could have sat on that all night. right? (laughs) Will we choose to praise, regardless of our perspective, regardless of our circumstances? Is God worthy of that praise? Is there not cause for it? Will you commit to doing it? Uh, Can we, with backward glance... At his past goodness to us allow that to fuel our faith in what he's promised for now and tomorrow so important and there's times I won't be honest with you I have had times when I the pain is so hard the suffering is so hard that I have a trouble remembering what he's done for me in the past and you know what I need to do <laughs> go back and read 66 books of how he's acted and then all of a sudden these things start popping up into my memory Of what he's done for me. Because I see what he's done for others. Can we ask, what he's asked us here, can we know him? Right, really know him and seek him and then trust and praise him now in the future. And then call others to do so with us. Will we choose to seek and savor joy in Christ alone? Abandoning that pointless quest to find it elsewhere because he won't give it elsewhere. Right now, will we pray for the next great move of God? Will you pray for the next great move of God? And then beyond that, will you be the next great move of God to live in praise? That kind of revival, it starts with you and me. It does. And you know where it goes? It spreads to your family, and then it infects your church in a good way. <laughs> it upends your world, but it won't ever happen. won't ever get there without you, without your commitment to praise. We're going to do that now. Tommy's-